0: Well, good morning. Keep your Bibles open uh, to John 8. We'll stay there throughout our morning. Um, and before we dive in here, let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this space. We can come together and, and worship together through, through singing, through praying, through confession assurance, and through uh, the preaching of your word. I pray that in this time together that you would remind us of the freedom that we have received in Jesus and that we would operate and live out of that freedom that's been given to us, and that we would not fall back into a life of slavery to sin. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I find myself playing the what-if game in my mind. Perhaps uh, you do this as well. You may wonder at times, what, what might your life be like if you had chosen a different career path, or if you had t- had a different degree, or gone to a different university? Uh, maybe you consider... Uh, in the past? What, what might have happened? What, what might your life look like if that person you love hadn't died so soon? Or what if you hadn't gotten let go from that job? Good things happen to us too. You may wonder, hopefully you love your spouse. You may wonder what your life would be like if you had not married your spouse. You might feel lost without them. I'll do this with uh, things in our society that are great as well, like what happened if Michael Jordan didn't choose to play basketball? Like what if What if MJ would have chosen to play football? Or even worse, baseball, right? What if if Steve Jobs had chosen to be a doctor? I'll do this with the scriptures too. What if Ruth had not chosen to follow Naomi after her husband died? What if Solomon's wisdom led him to choose one wife to love and to cherish? What if after the resurrection, when Jesus confronted Peter, that he turned away and continued into a life of fishing? What if when Jesus presented himself to Paul, if he denied Jesus and continued to persecute and kill Christians? Things might look drastically different. We're going to see this morning in John 8 what happens to us when we are controlled by sin. We'll look both at the audience in John 8 but also at our own lives to see how we are unable to become who God wants us to become if we are to remain in our sin and it is our master, or really if anything is our master other than God himself, we'll consider the ways in which sin deceives us and robs us of who God created us to be and how Jesus responds to that sin so that, that so easily entangles us to, in order to set us free and offer us a path back to God. We don't have to wonder what happens if we stay in a life of sin or if we choose to follow Jesus. The scriptures are clear for us today. Now, I'm just going to say from the front end, we're going to cover around 30 verses of John chapter 8, and that is a huge chunk. I mean, if we, we could just spend one week on the first two verses here, and so nobody's more bummed about that than me, okay? But I want you to know that we are not going to cover every single minute detail, and so if you, if you wonder, as you know, I'm preaching this morning, why didn't he hit on this, or why didn't he talk about that more, I don't want to keep you here till 3 p.m., that's why. So um, I encourage you, though, after this morning, after you go home, to study John 8 more. There's much more here than we will cover. So spend more time in John chapter 8, mining what is there uh, for us to learn. So given that, I'm going to look at a couple themes. I want to look at some themes throughout the end of John chapter 8, and I'm going to ask two questions as we go through John 8. We're going to ask, what does sin do to us? And then the second question we're going to ask is, how does Jesus provide an answer to that? So what does sin do to us, and how does Jesus respond to what sin does to us? Let's begin looking at verses 31 through 37. If we ask, what does sin do to us? It's very clear that sin enslaves us. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set them free from what, they asked. They didn't need to be set free from anything, or so they thought. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Then jumping to verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. So this crowd, his audience this morning, they had a problem, and it's fascinating When you consider who he's talking to, because supposedly this group believed in him. If we go back to to verse 30, that that last section ends with, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. But something happens between verse 30 and verse 52 when they say, now we know that you have a demon. And then verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. So why would this be included? Why would John say that they believed in him? What I believe is happening here, the too-long-didn't-read version, is they were in awe of his teaching, right? They they were in awe of his teaching, and so the scriptures tell us that many believed. But for at least a portion of the crowd, or maybe all of the crowd, it was very surface level. If you remember just a few chapters ago, uh, there was a crowd that was following him, and they were hungry, and Jesus fed them. He fed the multitudes, and so after this happened, many believed. The scriptures say that many believed in him. But what happened? A few verses later, he says some hard things, and the multitudes walk away. They stop following him. That's essentially what's happening here. The, the mode is different. Before, he was performing a sign, many believed, then they stopped following. Here, he's teaching some, some awesome things, they believe, and then they stop following. Now, this, in this occasion, this is a, as rosy as it gets. It's all downhill from here, because the more Jesus says, the more hostile they get. Why? Because they they were enslaved to their sin. And that's not the worst part. They didn't even know they were in bondage to sin. What are you talking about, Jesus? Abraham's our dad. We've never been slaves. How can we be set free from something when we're not in bondage? This is not a problem that's specific to the Jews, though that is his audience here. All of us face this problem. As this chapter plays out, Jesus shows them how they become enslaved by sin, how they don't see themselves rightly, and how they are not following God despite thinking and saying they are. This can be true of anyone holding to any religion or those claiming to believe in no religion. It can happen to us as followers of Jesus. Satan does not care which specific sin it is that enslaves us, only that our master is something other than Jesus. Satan does not care. So we all before Jesus, are enslaved to sin. So how does Jesus respond to the sinner's enslavement? He sets them free. Verse 31, let's look there again. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now now we know from John 14 that Jesus himself is the truth. The answer to falsehood is, is truth. The answer to captivity to sin is freedom from sin. What does Paul tell the church in Corinth in Second Corinthians 5? He says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what Paul's going to argue here, and here in a second in Romans 6, is that we are not actually ever masterless. Now, this may seem like some strange paradox, right? But the Bible teaches that true freedom is experienced when God becomes our master. It's that sweet place where we no longer crave our sin, but we're controlled by the love of Christ. Hey, parents in the room, you know exactly what this is like. How do your kids respond to you when you ask them to turn off that screen or to do their chores or to get ready for bed? probably depends on their mood, right? I see some kids out there saying, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. We read this book to our kids in our home uh, when they're younger. So we're reading it to Scarlett a lot here recently. It's called Little P. Are you guys familiar with Little P? Anybody? Oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. Two of you. Okay. So Little P lives in this P family with Mama P and Papa P. And he's a normal Little P, right? He, He loves to bounce around and play with his P pals. Uh, he loves it when Daddy, uh, da- Dad P, how, how is it? Daddy P? Papa P. Papa P. When Papa P comes home um, from work and throws him up in the air and has all sorts of fun, and he loves it when Mama P reads him a story at night. But, but guys, dinner time is a problem for Little P. Because every night, Little P eats the same thing for dinner over and over and over. And do you know what it is? Candy. Candy every night. My kids are excited about this, Yeah. Every night is candy. So little P hates dinner time. Over and every single night, candy, candy, candy. And so this story plays out, and he, he comes to Mama P and says, do I really have to eat all my candy before I have dessert? She says, five more pieces. Now, kids, this sounds pretty great, right? Five more pieces of candy. So he, he downs them one at a time. He's like, it's painful. He's like, oh, candy, whatever. And so she brings out dessert. And, and the excitement is palpable. It is coming off the pages when this big bowl of spinach is brought out for dessert. And he eats that spinach up faster than she brought it out. And he is so excited that he got dessert, spinach. Any you kids like spinach for dessert? No. no. Okay, yeah, there we go. All right, we're charismatic now. Here we go. So kids, if if you were given the option, I know we got a lot of kids in the room this morning, if you had the option to eat candy for dinner every night, anybody taking that? Anybody want to do that? Candy for dinner? Yeah. This is, oh, some of you adults, I'm seeing. (laughs) This is proof that our kids cannot make decisions for themselves, right? We cannot trust them to their own to choose what they, they can't meal plan. They're not meal planning for themselves, for us, for anyone. We have to tell them what to do. We have to tell them what to eat. We have to tell them what to wear and so on. And as they get older, hopefully they get better at making decisions and become respectful, decent human beings, right? That's part of the goal here. Now, left to ourselves, our sin tastes sweet to us. We need something outside of us to show us that the sin is, In our lives, it deceives us and it seeks to kill us. So God, in his grace and mercy, when he rescues us in Jesus, we are now controlled by the love of Christ and it's for our good. It is good for us that God is our master and that we are slaves to righteousness. That is best for us. Let's keep going. What else does sin do to us? It steals our identity. We come into the world sinners and as a result, we have a counterfeit father Let's read starting in verse 38 of John 8. "I speak of what I've seen my father uh, with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father." They answered him, "Abraham's our father." Jesus said to them, "If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did." They said to him, "We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father." even God. Jesus said to them, "'If God were your father, you would love me, "'for I came from God, and I am here. "'I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. "'Why do you not understand what I say? "'It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. "'You are of your father, the devil, "'and your will is to do your father's desires. "'He was a murderer from the beginning "'and does not stand in the truth "'because there's no truth in him. "'When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, "'for he's a liar and the father of lies.'" But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So again, Jesus' audience here in John 8, they've got a problem. They found themselves mastered by their sin, but they've had their identities hijacked. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve without blemish, he placed them in the garden to cultivate the earth. Now, you've likely heard or even said yourself, Ooh, this feels or tastes like a little piece of heaven on earth. Have you thought that before? Perhaps while spending time with those you love or seeing something beautiful in nature or eating some amazing food like a good piece of steak or homemade pie, that's, that's what it is for me. Like, man, this feels, this tastes heavenly, right? But in fact, the closest that humans have ever been to heaven on earth was in this moment when Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall when they walked with God, Since then, we've all been walking around with hijacked, counterfeit identities, with a longing to get back to the way that it was. For those in John 8, God was not their father. Out of the six times they respond to Jesus, three of them, they go back and mention, well, Abraham's our dad. They're really confused here. Abraham's our dad. Every response has something to do with their physical lineage. They had built their entire identity on what someone else did but Jesus here, this is where it gets kind of dicey. He doesn't seem to care that they are in Abraham's lineage. Now, this is frustrating for them, right? Because Abraham received the promise and they're in his family line. Any of you that grew up in church, heard the song? Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, you're singing with me. Many sons had Father Abraham. Yeah, we would sing that song, right? And I bet For these Jews, as they grew up, they had some sort of ditty. Probably not that song, right? But but some sort of ditty they sang, remembering this. By birth, they had received entrance into the kingdom of God. Or so they thought. Jesus' indifference towards them, being in the physical lineage of Abraham, has less to do with who their great-great-great-grandfather is And everything to do with their open rejection and hatred towards him. And why? He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the things he did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This isn't what Abraham did. They claim to be in step with Abraham, but they don't look like him. They think they've already earned entrance into the kingdom of God, and they think they've received it because of their family line. But here's the key. Jesus is interested not in their physical lineage, but their spiritual lineage. They are more aligned and have identified themselves with Satan, the father of lies, death, and destruction, rather than God, who they profess also is their father. And he corrects them. He says, no, no, no. The things you do and say out you as a follower, as a child, actually, of Satan. Now, as much as we don't want to admit it, we are born with this same problem, with a counterfeit dad who seeks to control us and wants to do everything in his power to destroy us. Now, you may say, well, that sounds too extreme, right? Kids in the room. Whoa, 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 ho. But what does Jesus say? Verse 44 You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he's speaking out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, if this were the end of the story, our outlook would be bleak. We're in trouble. There isn't a thing we can do about it. We need a new identity, we need a new heart, a new name, a new family line. And so what does Jesus do? How does he respond to this sin problem? He offers us adoption into the family of God. God's promise to Abraham wasn't that as he looked up into the sky to number his future descendants, right? It wasn't that he would have as many physical descendants as there are stars in the sky. It was that he would have as many spiritual descendants by faith as there are stars in the sky. Let's go to Galatians 3 to help, understand, help us understand this. Verse 7, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of God. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's us, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, plural, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And then verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now if the law that was given could have given life, the Jews would have found it. They would have found it. But now that faith has come, They have remained under the law, and Jesus is telling them, abide in my word, abide in me. You won't taste death if you abide in my word. The truth will set you free. Now here's the thing, the crowd in this passage, they were totally right to build their identity on what someone else did. They just built it on the wrong person, right? They believed their physical line of Abraham led to salvation, but they missed the fact that Abraham believed in the promise, the future promise of God. And the lineage that mattered most was the one that comes from faith and belief in Jesus. Jesus himself stood before them. He spoke true to them. He told them the way to life, and they rejected him. Abraham's confidence was in this promise, not in keeping the law. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. He came to make right what went wrong in the garden. And something else happens as he does that in Ephesians 1, starting at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Because of the finished work of Christ, all who have been slaved by sin and have had their identities stolen, that's all of us, All of us in Jesus were now offered the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. So when Jesus died on the cross for sin and was raised on the third day, he didn't just pay the penalty for your sin. He does wipe away your sin, past, present, and future, and he adopts you into the family of God. So he doesn't just erase our debt. That just brings our account balance to zero, right? But we're now adopted into his family, and so all the blessings and benefits that Christ has as God, we receive as his children, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We will rule and reign with Christ someday. Praise God, right? Yeah. So sin enslaves and robs us of our identity. It also makes us hate the light. Two weeks ago, Kenton preached On the very first part of John 8, we talked about Jesus being the light. But here we're gonna see that sin makes us hate the light. It makes us hate that which is good. So Jesus is chipping away at their identity here, right? He's he's telling them, they're not actually true children of Abraham, but he's also telling them the way to find life, to never taste death. But all of this goes right over their heads because they just keep saying, Abraham, 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 family line, family line. The anger of Abraham, this audience is beginning to boil. In verse 41, we see they start to retaliate. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now this certainly feels like a jab at Jesus's own identity. He's calling into question their father, so they're gonna do the same. Hey, Jesus, who's your dad? Tell us, Jesus, was was your mom married when she conceived you? We aren't the illegitimate ones here. You are. They get more hostile as we go on. Verse 48, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus, you are a half-breed. You don't even know who your dad is. You're possessed, you're talking crazy. You're not a real Jew like us. That's what they're saying here. Look at you, Je- you are not like us. And he responds to verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, well, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? There it is, Abraham again. Are you greater than him who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, Jesus, among so many other things in this chapter... Models for us how to respond to people who are our enemies or our critics or are making fun of us or whatever. He, he shows us how to be calm and not get emotional and not call names back at them. He shows us how to respond to our opponents. And he even tells them, he continues to tell them the way to find life. That's remarkable. Now they continue to press and it gets to the point where Jesus has to just leave. He says in verse 45, or 55, but you have not known God. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you guys, but I don't know him, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I want us to consider the overall flow of our text so far this morning. So it began with belief, which which seems remarkable given where we are now, right? They wanna stone him to death. It began with belief and then it moved to confusion and then it moved to retaliation and now full on hatred. Jesus was good and well while he was saying things that didn't disrupt their way of life, but he isn't content with that, is he? So Jesus reveals to them their condition. He calls into question their identity. And then he outright says that he calls himself God. He says, I am, I have always been, and I will always be. Before Abraham was, I am, and that was too much. And their sin makes them hate him. It makes them hate that which is good. And here's the thing, apart from Jesus's intervention in our life, so do we. We hate that which is good. So Jesus's response, he sets sinners free, he adopts them into the family of God and he overwhelms the sinner's heart with love. In a sermon on loving your enemies, MLK has been famously quoted saying, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So the ugliness and darkness within our own hearts, it's frighteningly real, isn't it? It's not an out there problem, like everyone else outside of us is the problem. It's an in here problem. This darkness and this hatred within us because of sin cannot be drowned out with more darkness or more hatred and left to ourselves. That's what we produce. It's been said that bitterness or hatred towards others is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die, right? And that's what I believe we see happening in John chapter 8. They become more angry, more bitter, more frustrated towards Jesus and it's like they're drinking this poison waiting for Jesus to die. Apart from Jesus, this is what happens to us. If he did not intervene in our lives, we too would hate the light, the truth, and the love. So most of you could probably, even you kids in the room, you could recite to me, what is the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. The second is like it: you shall love the neighbor, as, your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. So, how do we love? How can we love this way? By first being loved by Jesus. First John four nineteen: we love because He first loved us. Romans five, verse six: for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly in verse eight, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, the ungodly isn't something that's beyond us. It's not outside of us. It is us. As people born into sin, we are the enemies of God. That is us. Apart from Christ, we are his enemies and we're no different from the crowd in John 8 apart from him. Now, if you're you're in Jesus this morning. This was true of you, right? You once hated the light. You once opposed God, but by the grace of God, you're no longer who you were. The overwhelming love of God fills your heart, and you're a new creation. You've been set free, adopted into the family of God, all because of grace. Not because we deserved it. It's all because of his grace. Paul told the church in Corinth, uh 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he gives that list, right? The greedy, the sexual immorality, the adulterers, the drunkards, the revilers. and that, that, That's the bad people, right? And then in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. But what happens? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Of our God, so where we're sin enslaves, steals, and makes us hate that which is good, Jesus sets sinners free. He adopts us into the family of God, and He overwhelms our hearts with love. So, a couple questions coming out of this: How can we know that we've been set free? How can we know that you're truly a disciple of Jesus? I want to encourage you to ask a couple questions as we leave this morning. Something maybe you can even ponder throughout the week. And most of this is just going to come right from the text this morning from John eight from verse 31, do you abide in his word? Do you abide in him? Maybe you're sitting here thinking this morning, I've done all these things that the Jews are doing. I have at times a flaky belief in Jesus. I've done some of these things that they did. I've done things that Satan approves of. Jesus answers in verse 31 for us. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You'll know the truth And the truth will set you free. So Jesus is coming. He's a messenger on behalf of the Father. And he's only doing and saying that which his Father approves. The question this morning is, do you you hear that? Do you listen to the word of Jesus? Do you listen to him? Or do you find yourselves combating him like the Jews in John 8? Do you hear? Remain in him. Hide yourself in him. In a few chapters, we're going to get to John 15. And we're going to see that the branches are connected to the vine and that we are the branches and Jesus is the vine and we get life from him are you connected to him are you remaining in him are you hiding yourself in Jesus so that's question number 1 do you abide in his word do you abide in him number 2 are you currently enslaved to sin is there something right now that is mastering you and you know it are you mastered by sin this morning i want to encourage you to not leave this morning without repenting and turning from that today Maybe just confess there by yourselves, but you may want to find someone else to pray for you as well. Don't leave this morning without confessing that and repenting of that this morning. Number three, do you hear the voice of God? Now, this is maybe a 30,000-foot foot view. When you read the scriptures, when you participate in worship, when you gather to have conversations in your gospel communities, what are you listening for? Maybe this is more of a heart posture. Like, what are you coming in expecting to hear Or to learn? Is your heart softened by the words of God? Or are you pre-wired coming in, hoping to affirm the things you already believe anyways? I think I asked this uh, a few weeks ago when I preached. Is it within your framework to be wrong? Can you be wrong? Can you come to the scriptures? And if there's conflict, do the scriptures win? Do you hear the voice of God? Number four, are you being honest with yourself about who you are? Are you being honest with yourself about who you are? Those in our text this morning, I think it was uh, John 7 and 8 both, they, they tied themselves first to Moses, and then they tie themselves to Abraham. And they were wrong both times. They're looking to someone else, uh, someone else's identity to save them. Now, we can often be wrong. We can, we can have a lack of self-awareness of who we are. So are you exploring yourself? Are you questioning your own motives? Are you questioning your hearts? Are you allowing others into that as well in your discipleship groups, in your gospel communities? Are you allowing others to speak into sin that they may see in you? Ask God to show you these things today. Uh, Number five, is this number five? I don't know if it's number five. Six, do you live as though you'll live forever? Is eternity in mind? So this comes from verse 35. One of the greatest weaknesses, I believe, in the church today, like Big C Church, is how little we talk about eternity. How little we talk about heaven. As we've seen in verse 35 and 36, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, you're free. I think some of us may have this desire to just fall back into bondage. And we're just like, ah, oh, I, here, here I am again. I, I've sinned again and I've ruined everything again. This says if Jesus sets you free, you're free. And you're not a slave Waiting outside the walls, but a child of God invited into his home for all eternity. So, the things you do, the things you say, uh, the, the, the career choices you make, the jobs you take or turn down, the way you engage with your kids do you speak and do things with eternity in mind? Do you live as though you'll live forever? Because in Jesus, you will. You will live forever in him. I totally lost count. I don't, it's six, six or seven. Uh, are you quick to, this is the last one. Are you quick to offer to others what you've received in Jesus? Now going back to 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were redeemed in Jesus, you've been set free by him, all by grace, all by grace. Because we didn't earn this, we ought to be the most grateful and thankful and, and Jesus worshiping people on the planet. Do you offer that to others? Or are you quick to be critical to them? We don't deserve what we have received. We didn't earn what we've been given. So let's offer what we've been given in Jesus to others. Maybe for you today, you just need to spend some time reminding your own heart of the gospel. You didn't earn anything. You didn't do anything to make God love you. But he loves you. Maybe you need to speak that to yourself and remind yourself that despite how wicked I am, God loves me. Sit in that. Rest in that. In just a few moments, we're going to sing one final song. And some of the words in that song are are this right here. I'm going to read it for us. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. In my Father's house, there's a place for me, I'm a child of God. Who the Son sets free, Oh, is free indeed, I'm a child of God. Now many of us will be celebrating this holiday weekend, and rightly so. It's crazy that this text lined up with July 4th weekend, we did not plan that. We would be really smart if we planned, that, planned it that way, we did not. But God so aligned it to happen this way, that we would be thinking about our freedom in Christ as we celebrate our freedom As Americans, it's good and right to celebrate the freedoms we have, you know, in a world where many of our brothers and sisters this morning may be facing persecution for believing the very same things that we are. They're being persecuted this morning just because they're worshiping Jesus. So let's celebrate that we live in a country where we can worship freely. But let's also remember the ultimate freedom that we've been given in Jesus. The freedoms we enjoy as Americans, they're temporary they're not gonna last. But the freedom we've received in Jesus lasts forever. What a good and timely reminder for us this morning, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Where sin enslaves, Jesus sets free. Where sin makes us children of a counterfeit father, Jesus adopts us into the family of God. And where sin makes us hate that which is good, Jesus overwhelms our hearts with love. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you fill our hearts this morning with thankfulness. Thankfulness that you, despite our sin, despite our rebellion towards you, despite us being enemies with you, you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to reconcile your enemies to yourself. Would you make us to leave this place this morning thankful and grateful and worshipful for who Jesus is and what he's done for us this this morning? I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room uh, who may be struggling with this reality this morning. They're wrestling with the truth that God does love them. I pray that you would do what you do and you would overwhelm their hearts with your love. And I also pray for those this morning who are wrestling with belief at all. Maybe they're in their sin and they don't know where to go and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause their heart to be softened and to turn to you this morning. Father, we love you. Help us to believe where we have unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.